Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PPC Show. We're doing a special episode today. We're joined with Harry Hawk from BirdEye. He's been a, I guess, a friend of the podcast, a friend of AdStage for a long time, and also a super smart in-house marketer. So, Harry, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm real excited to talk to you. Uh, Paul, it's my pleasure. I love marketing, you know, and I love AdStage, especially your uh, your Google add-on. That's uh, a lifesaver for me. Uh, you're going to make me blush. But the first thing we're, we talk about is the fact you're not an agency. So I always had it wrong. I thought BirdEye was an agency because your name is Harry Hawk. The agency is BirdEye. And I just thought this must be his agency. But it turns out BirdEye is actually a pretty sophisticated uh, platform that helps manage reviews and helps communicate with customers. So just correct me for the record. What exactly does BirdEye do? So we are a B2B SaaS. We help primarily local businesses, but we also work with other SaaS companies who want to integrate, you know, into our product, our product rather into their product. And uh, we work increasingly with upmarket companies. We help them manage their online reviews and we take those online reviews and we help them publish them to the Google, Facebook, and major review sites. That has a tremendous positive value on SEO. And then we do a lot of other customer experience and customer communication work like messaging, uh, all-in-one inboxes, uh, the ability to chat with someone on a website when you're not live or they're not live um, through messaging and ticketing to make sure that, you know, if someone has a problem or needs a solution really quick, that someone, you know, absolutely gets back to them. Well, that makes a lot more sense than uh, it just being your agency. And I'm no SEO wizard, but I do know how important reviews are. At, at AdSage, we get reviews all the time because we're a B2B software tool. And our, we use SEMrush as like our SEO tool. And it's always telling us like, put your reviews on this page, uh, get reviews here, get reviews there, because they really help you rank. So, um, so I'm glad I know that about you guys, because we might need to use you to get more reviews as well uh, to help us out. Um, but but let's hop into some of the research that you just did. You had a great blog post that is available on the BirdEye blog. It's called Why Performance Marketers Need to Embrace Machine Learning Optimization. And I just want to dig into the details. So let's get started. Um, and one of the things you talk about is uh, connecting, um, you know, performance to deep funnel conversions. And your example in this article was about uh, Salesforce opportunities that are, you know, pretty far through the sales stage. And with my agency hat on, I'm thinking, oh, geez, how do you get access to Salesforce? How do you get access to the right reports? How do you make sure that you're getting that data back into Google and Facebook? But if you're in-house, you know, you can just go to, I assume you just went to those people or maybe you are the person that can pull that data and set up the, the integrations. It was definitely easy in terms of who to find that was responsible, but it took a little bit of time to get it prioritized and to build the use case around it, that there is a real ROI here. And that's in part one of the reasons that I asked them to put out the blog, because I think there's a bunch of other marketers in there who may be facing the same problem. And it's really hard to build an ROI for something that you haven't done yet. And yeah, maybe talk a little bit about that, because I know there are a lot of folks uh, so we launched a joint product like uh, a year ago, maybe, and we started getting deep into these Salesforce conversations yeah. with folks. And it's usually a different team, and they maybe don't understand why you really need the granular data. So how did you build that uh, kind of argument internally to do the integration of Salesforce back to Google and Facebook? Just 
being super persistent, but then also walking them through what's happening and really walking them through the use case of if we're going by form fills, it's really easy to show that 10, 15, some percent of your form fills don't make it to Salesforce. You know, those are the clown email address or that sort of thing. Um, just, you know, duplicates as well. Mm -hmm. So we're sending this false positive signal, you know, to the optimization engine. Um, the other thing is it can be a little bit easier. And we like to, we do a tremendous number of our own integrations with our products into other products, like over a thousand. So we have a team that's really good at it. We like to build our own, but if folks aren't looking to do that, obviously Google has a tool for doing that with Facebook. You can go through third parties like segment. Um, so it may not be as hard as you think. Well, that's good to know. Um, and then, so let's talk a little bit about the structure of the, the test and, um, and kind of what happened when you went from optimizing for form fills to optimizing down the funnel. Um, but just to make sure I'm imagining this right, so since BirdEye is selling essentially, well, let's just focus on one of the products like review management. Correct. And you want to get more reviews as a small business, so you're going to use, you're looking for businesses that have web presences that are trying to get more reviews and you're trying to get them to fill out a form, which then leads to, uh, well, what does the form fill get them? A demo or a, a something? So the, the form fill will get them a, a phone call from, you know, one of our sales team members Monday through Friday, and it will ungate the website as well. And so they can obviously get an ebook or some other video demo that sort of content from us but all of our product is sold by a sales team. And so I think that's also a consideration for anybody in the B2B SaaS space. There's very few products that are really sold online, fully online. Uh, even if the final sale is rung through some kind of online portal, uh, it's really important, you know, to have a meaningful goal to send to the AI, to the machine learning tool. And the form fill isn't that. So Paul, you asked me to kind of walk through, you know, where in the Salesforce funnel um, we're directing. Was that, did I understand that right? Yeah, well, I, I am, you're doing a good job of getting me a sense of just kind of the sales flow, because I know you want to optimize around these down funnel conversions. So I'm just making sure I even have the funnel right. So website visit, gated content. I went to your pricing page, your pricing is gated as well. Um, so it seems like there's a few ways that you can convince folks, hey, if you're really interested to fill out this form. Now they're in Salesforce probably, unless it's a, a Bozo the Clown email, like you said, or yeah. a, bad, a bad lead. And then a salesperson picks it up and takes it through a few stages and qualifies it, I assume? Correct. And so once they're qualified, they're now an opportunity. And we focused on a spot just before opportunity. So it's still with the sales team, it's active. They're responding, it's not one of these that they filled out a form and you can never get in contact with them. Right. And that's the signal right now that we're sending. I and I everybody knows about attribution, meaning you know which ad contributed or which ad quote caused uh, some particular conversion. 
What's important to understand with this deep funnel is that there is an attribution window where the action in Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using has to be within that window. And for Facebook, that's a seven day window right now. And they're rumored to talk about maybe a 28 day window, but on Google, it's a 90 day window. Right. So let's, let's talk through my example uh, so that that hits home. So uh, they're in the funnel, you're calling the conversion event, something kind of mid funnel before it gets yep. converted to an opportunity. And actually, why did you, why did you pick that? Some people say, why not just pick the opportunity? We're going to work our way down to that, but we think it was such an improvement over a form fill that we also at the same time wanted to have the maximum amount of signal. We could have gone say all the way to sales, assuming our sales cycle is seven days. It's not always going to be seven days. So as you work your way back up the funnel, you really have to think about the quantity. I think we know like on Facebook, they recommend 50 conversions a week. Uh, but the more volume of data that you're sending into a machine learning tool like Google's or Facebook's, in part, the better results you'll get. So we really wanted to pick something that was super high volume, super relevant. Right. So it's that kind of happy medium. You have enough volume to feed the beast, the data it needs, <laughs> uh, but it's also far enough down the funnel that you're not optimizing for some of the, the leaks, some of the stuff that will fall out of the funnel. So that makes sense. Uh, and then you mentioned the sales to close or the time to close, um, set, you know, doing that in seven days for enterprise SaaS tool sounds very uh, ambitious. Oh. At ad stage, I would say are from the day you fill out a form uh, to the day, well, let me start with our trial because we people fill out forms for all kinds of reasons. It could be content and then they're really just there to get a benchmark report. So those folks might convert in two years. In fact, you know, I often look back, we use HubSpot and I'll see like, oh, this person who just signed up has been reading our newsletter for three years. Um, you know, now is the time they needed us. So is it really a three-year sales cycle? <laughs> but um, from the day they start a trial, which is our signal of intent, if you took the time to start a free trial, um, we're about 21 days. So, so using, so let's think of, of anyway, this is a long way of asking yeah. you, your time to close. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's a number I can't give out, but we're certainly within the you know typical industries, you know, for a B2B SaaS. And then we do some upmarket and enterprise level. And, and obviously that's a little bit of a longer cycle, but that's, I think the point that we're kind of getting to is so why you could pick like a close as the signal. For many of us, it's just way outside the attribution window. Right. And so we'll use our 21 day example um, sure, because what happens is if you come through Facebook ads, you're saying on the 1st of March uh, and then with our traditional sales cycle, you won't actually buy until the 21st of March. And by then the Facebook seven day window is come and gone. So Facebook, um, when that closes in Salesforce, Facebook won't attribute it back to the ad because it's not with their window. Am I getting that right? Exactly. Okay. But now Google will, cause it's 90 days and maybe in the future, Facebook changes, they will. Um, so instead of picking something that takes 21 days to close, you can pick something mid funnel where you have higher volume and it's going to happen within uh, the seven day window of Facebook. Am I getting that right? Exactly. Perfect. Okay. So now I think we have it set up. I understand the sales model, the funnel, the flow from marketing to Salesforce. Now your job is to get more of those qualified leads in the door. Uh, 
and I know, and you, you went and kind of approached it by taking some campaigns that had been running and trying some tests. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you got to picking those campaigns that you chose and the tests that you set up. So once I had it working and we verified, you know, we have a log of what we're sending and we're seeing, you know, similar numbers um, on the Facebook side. And it was Facebook at this point where I was testing. I just, for transparency, uh, the first round of this was done on Google and we've had that running at this point for several months. So we had some optimism that it does help. Um, but, you know, in general, we see a better, you know, close rate off of, you know, high intent search than, you know, interruptive driven Facebook. The initial test, I really just took kind of my worst performing campaign that I thought had potential. Like if I had extra hours in the week, I could probably figure out how to make it work. Mm -hmm. It was a particular retargeting campaign. And I just switched the goal from a form fill to this deep funnel. And I'll use the term that we use in house. The objective is what we call a quality lead. That's just, you know, when we were, I was working with marketing operations and we we're looking at all of the different things that became kind of our code word for what we wanted to send something that was deep enough, but of reasonable quality of reasonable volume that we thought would be the right signal to send. And at that time, did you have the um, quality leads feeding back into Facebook already, or was getting that done part of setting up this test? Exactly. The quality leads came online around the 22nd, 23rd of December. And so on the 23rd of December, I plugged it in to a couple campaigns, including this retargeting campaign and sort of magic happened. Right. So yeah, let's talk about some of the magic. And like I mentioned, this is, there is a blog post that you wrote that will go live or I guess will be live when, when this podcast comes out. So if you can't keep up with the numbers, uh, you could always head over to uh, birdeye.com slash blog and find it there. And we'll have the link in the show notes as well. Because um, I, I I have an advanced look at it because I'm a you know, VIP. Harry sends me all the, <laughs> the early data. Um, but it, so really good numbers. And so, yeah, maybe walk us through kind of a few of those timelines. And then uh, especially some of the ups and downs where you saw like, oh, well, we're spending a lot, but I'm not seeing as many um, leads per se, uh, but I don't want to do any spoilers. So maybe just talk, walk us through some of the kind of how you saw the results come in over time. I've done this enough, Paul. I think it's just worth letting everybody know that on some level, the results you'll see kind of seem odd. We're often used to just having a very linear kind of growth path. More leads mean more ops mean more sales and you know we work to get the lead cost down super low um, when i was at hubspot doing some work at their lab division you know i got page views uh, off of ads down to you know five or six cents a, a visit from a couple of dollars right like we're trying to get traffic volume or obviously ultimately lead generation so in this case the, the first thing is i came and took a snapshot at the 29 day period. And I'm gonna give a 56 and a 
68 day snapshot as well. But the, the first snapshot uh, at 39 days, the volume of leads per day had gone up to basically two times. But the total number of leads was one third. And, and I should explain to everybody, because if you're not looking at the blog post, I'm comparing this to a, the previous 700, sorry, the previous 175 days from July up to December 22nd. And then the next 20 days, not the next 39 days after that. Right. So it's the, the ratios are what are important because you're, let's call it your control, even though it's not really a control and, and test, but um, was this July to December ish, 175 days, you had a good sense of performance. You identified it as underperforming and then you made these changes. And then after 39 days, uh, when we look at some of these metrics, like leads per day double, um, then that really gives a sense of uh, how it's performing. Got you. So start, yeah, so starting to get leads, it's getting traction. And the previous campaign got a lot of leads. Um, it just didn't get a lot of magic from them. And now in this case, at that 39 day point, we had only one third of the leads that the previous 175 days had delivered. And we had spent two thirds of the money. So we had spent a lot more money faster, um, basically three times more per day and the cost per lead had nearly doubled. Right. So, and somebody might start to panic at this point, right? Spending more yeah. than leads are growing. Uh, so, what Less leads more money. you do? Right. <laughs> and, but we also have a quality, the way we score leads. I'm sure everybody has some kind of lead score. And um, we have our own tool in house. But however you're doing it, if it's through HubSpot or Marketo, um, these leads were 20% better. So that was a good sign. And relatively, we had more ops. So less leads, more money, but more ops. And that's really, I think anybody who's doing uh, performance marketing knows if you're not getting your leads into the opportunity stage, then they're not really worth their weight. And, and they're expensive, right? It's not just the cost of the lead, but you're wasting your business development resources or your AE's time. Um, trying to sell someone who's not going to buy. And this made sense to me. So, you know, spent more, got less leads, but those leads were higher quality and led to opportunities. And you had a total lower cost per opportunity than you had before. And so that's obviously the dream scenario because at the end of the day, you want quality leads at conversion opportunities, not just leads for leads sake. And it also makes sense because you move the optimi optimization event down funnel. So Facebook in theory, their algo is saying, Hey, Normally, I'd spend money for that lead, but I don't think it's going to convert. So don't spend money here. Go spend money there. So, you know, if it's kind of telling you Facebook's doing the right thing and starting to identify leads it used to pay for, it's not going to pay for anymore. So still spend money, but don't spend it on those. Instead, try to get more that are high quality opportunities. But I could see how, you know, the people who just look at spend and leads per day are starting to say, you know, what's Harry doing over there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can be scary in that moment, for sure. I think it's also important, someone could right now be saying, okay, well, he just started spending more per lead. Uh, but but I didn't, like there wasn't a, a bid limit that was holding this campaign back previously and just spending more, yeah, that can work if your targets, if everything's really aligned, 
and hopefully it is. But when you have that deep funnel optimization point, exactly what you said, you, Facebook is working for you, is working with your sales team, is trying to find the people who will get to where you want to go. And they literally say, if you can expose a signal to us, we'll find people who will complete and give you that signal. It's, it's crazy because, you know, I used to work at Kenshu and we bid, we built bid algos kind of before Google and Facebook had a ton of uh, kind of in-house tools you could use. So it, this was like six years ago, um, which is ancient history in, in ad tech. But, um, and you wouldn't believe how many times we'd run this bid algo. Part of what we do is partner with these, you know, Fortune 500s and get really deep access into not just sales, like in the, most of these were e-commerce. Cause you know, obviously this is, what you're doing is more challenging than e-commerce because e-commerce people buy on the spot. So it's pretty easy yeah. to figure out if you get a conversion. You have a sales team, sales cycles, lead quality, all that adds a ton of complexity, which is why B2B and B2B SaaS, which we're both in, is more challenging and more exciting, to be honest, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, so when we had those algos for e-commerce, we would even go deeper because using just revenue got you, you know, and revenue and sales were good. But if we knew the profit margins on all the products, then we could optimize even better. So even back then, Kentry was kind of pushing how far deep down into value can we go? Because if you expose that signal, the machine gets smarter because it knows how to generate profit, which is really what you know e-commerce wants to generate. They don't want to spend all their money on loss-leading products or low-margin products. So, um, and you had your own way. I you know I see on here you also measured the lead to close um, and the total ACV, and it looks like both of those moved in the right direction. Exactly, and I I just want to be careful how I'm defining. I'm not saying the actual selling price went up, but yeah, the campaign in 175 days, the viz, uh, you know, delivered X ACV and this campaign in 39 days delivered more. And yeah, we had three less, three times less cost per acquisition. Wow. All right. So you ran that for 39 days. Um, then what, what did you do after that? Nothing. I mean, just let it run. Uh, it did increase the, the the daily spend limit. Also, sign of a good market. You know, people always say marketing is art and science. And part of the art is knowing when to tinker and when to just step back and, and let it ride. Yeah, and I had made a whole bunch of improvements over that 175 days to get it to where it was giving me lots of leads. And I was so happy. And you look at that sales cycle. So you, you want to get a, for me, I want to get a couple of sales cycles in before I go and decide you know, is it working or not? Because obviously, like you said, your cycle is 21 days. And if, you know, you go look at seven days, you're just not going to, you know, see that it, it's not ready yet. It's not soup yet. Right. But So at that 56 day point, so this is 56 days after uh, the 23rd of December, we're seeing 2.5 times more leads per day. Uh, I'm still seeing about a third of the leads. And my spending, though, is now equal to the 175 days. Got you. So this is now a little bit more apples to apples in terms of you had spent a similar amount in the 175, 175 days versus this kind of post change. So you use kind of equal spend now on both sides. Got exactly. You. And, you know, within a couple hundred dollars, 
we're now spending three times as much per day. Our leads cost is about a 1.5 times. The quality has dropped. And I want to come back to that because that's a really important signal. Um, we're still getting more, more ops. Um, the CPO, which had gone really low, has come up a little bit, but still really good. The CAC, the acquisition cost is now four times less. Lead to close rate is even better. And the ACV value is now at like 3.6 times the, the total value from the previous campaign. Got it. So overall, so cost of acquisition is four times less. So you spent the same amount. So is the acquisition in this case, the actual close, the actual sale? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, these are these leads lead to ops, the ops leads to sales and you're selling, you know, a lot more of the accounts, a lot more of the leads you bring in. So that's how you can drive down that, that cat because you have the same spend. <laughs> so the numerator is the same. It's, uh, yeah. it's got to be that denominator going up. Uh, so that's great. So even though the CPL might have uh, dropped a bit and the quality dipped a little bit, it was still enough to drive overall bottom line performance. So I think one of the things that's so critical to this is that way that we use lead scoring, anyone, when I say we, anyone in our profession, um, that how often are you going back and looking at that? Is it something you look at once every two years or once a year? Is it something that you look at monthly? And I, I think for us, that's something that we're looking at how to better continuously improve that. But where we're seeing the lead quality drop, but still getting good results, to me is saying that the algorithm is finding people who will convert that our lead score doesn't necessarily indicate would convert. Nice. Um, just to be clear, because again, I'm looking at numbers and you, you may have it in front of you from the initial test was a 20% better lead quality. And at 59 days, 56 days, it's only 15% better. Right. So for, it's still good. It just wasn't as yeah. good as it was initially. Right. Um, all right. So they must've given you a big promotion after driving uh, the cost of customer acquisition down by four times. Uh, I was spending, <laughs> trust me, I was spending the money elsewhere. And, right. And they're not always happy about the, um, you know, the, the really big campaigns, but uh, <laughs> this one they are happy about. Well, I d yeah, I do want to ask you, just politically, it can be tough if on the marketing slides every month in the all hands meeting or, you know, whatever you do there, you know, they report on leads and pipeline. And you know, I've worked in enough places where even though that we'd say, look, it doesn't matter how many leads we get if they're not converting. And it doesn't matter how many quality leads we get if they're not closing. It's still hard to get everybody on that same page of like, it's not the impressions or the clicks or the leads or the opportunities. It's the sales. And how do you tie it all close to sales? So, you know, do you still have people who get nervous because they see leads are down? Or how did you get that, that shift to happen amongst the marketing team or maybe more broadly? I think right now we're seeing um, a sales team. We recently have a new president. And so politically right now, we're really super energized, the sales team, and there's a lot happening. And our metrics are changing. And this is just one of many metrics that, happen to be improving. And it's really hard at this moment to look back and say, well, the guardrails that were really good last year and we're starting to edge over those, 
are they the right guardrails or not? Um, but I think, again, in, at least in this case, um, everybody's pretty happy with it. And it's really partnering with the sales team because at the end of the day, as a marketer, we can't go and close these. And, and we can claim or think or hope that we're giving them the, the most qualified leads. And I can talk to on the, the other side, because this is just a, a essentially a poor performing campaign that we're able to spike, but we've also worked on some of our better campaigns as well. And we have been able to, you know, radically improve lead quality. Uh, I think any marketer has to ask themselves at the end of the day, exactly how much quality they need. Like, what is it that moves the needle? And this is one of the campaigns that I'm using to highlight that at least I can say in some cases for social, the lead quality doesn't have to necessarily be super high. Uh, right. We all know someone coming off a branded search, you know, you know, where can I buy ad stage today? You know, where can I buy bird eye today? You know, they're going to close super fast with a lot of intent. Right. Yeah. I mean, philosophically too, without getting too deep, <laughs> um, <laughs> you just wonder about the nature of marketing sales. You know, at ad stage, we used to talk a lot about marketing. It's the teams are really working closely together now. And as if you're, if you're the, I don't know, chief revenue officer and you're trying to figure out where to spend your money and your time, you really have to think about, well, I can take 50,000 or a hundred thousand and throw it after leads in marketing and I can get more leads. And then I can let the sales team kind of figure out the good or bad ones. And, you know, I'm okay with giving the sales team 50% of leads that maybe aren't good, but they're going to really be able to suss out the good ones and even the bad ones they'll be able to build relationships with, or it's a training opportunity, or that's how they build their pipeline for the future. Like that's one mindset. The other is saying, you know what? I only want my sales team spending time on people who are coming in saying, Hey, I need to buy this product, but I'm not sure which plan or I I'm evaluating three products and you're one of them convince me. Um, and I only want them focused on those 95% of, of leads that are super high quality that we've, uh, we've, you know, spent a lot of time and effort on the marketing side to throw away a lot of leads, but you will throw away some that would convert. You know, you, you won't get some that your sales team probably could flip. So that becomes a strategic question for the chief revenue officer is how, you know, what's the strategy you're going to use to close deals and are you going to spend your money on a sales team? that's going to do more qualifying and less closing perhaps, but maybe you're going to get, you know, you're going to go through that haystack very carefully, or are you going to spend more money in marketing and take the time to like only bring in higher quality leads? It's, I don't know the right answer, but it's interesting that now we're so close with sales. You can't, you can no longer just like throw leads over the fence and say, good luck. I think we have to learn a lot from the more bespoke sales process of enterprise and mid market where, you know, in SMB, we're bringing in a lead and it's, hey, goodbye. <laughs> Go talk to my friends in sales. But if you're doing account-based marketing where you're targeting very specific accounts and people who are on a buying committee um, and you're using a lot of different tools, uh, email, uh, high-value e high mailers, you know, send something, someone a gift that, they're, you know, it's a box that they're going to open. Sending messaging through 
you know, programmatic and a lot of other channels that really influence that entire buying committee all the way through the cycle. I think that's something that S&B and marketing in general needs to, to really focus on. The tricky part is I think on the SMB side, it's like more transactional and on the enterprise side, you're doing account-based marketing and you're, you know, strategizing with sales who, you know, who do I need to convince what, what pieces of content can we send? We invite them to conferences and games and dinner and gifts. But there's this big middle segment in the mid market where we, we fit, you know, we can't afford to fly everybody to the, you know, Golden State Warriors game. If you're only going to pay us like $800 a month, (laughs) um, but we also aren't going to get you to pay us $800 a month if we don't give you the time to give you a quality demo and show you the product and maybe do some training. So for us, and I think a lot of B2B SaaS companies who are trying to be in the middle, you want to scale, um, and, but you don't want to be transactional. It's, it's pretty tricky to figure out, would I rather get a medium to low quality lead and give it to my sales team? Or would I rather keep it out of the funnel so I don't distract them? That's like the question that I don't know the answer to still. I think, as you say, there may not be any universal answer there, but I think when we're, as a truism, when we're spending money and or performing some kind of optimization event, we need to move it down funnel. And I think, as you can see from this example, that naturally just improves everything if you're ever taken a driver's ed course, one of the things they teach you is don't look three seconds down the road, look 12 seconds down the road. The guy who's, gal who's looking three seconds down the road is constantly moving their hands, trying to adjust the wheel. And the person who is looking 12 seconds down the road has a much more steady, smooth uh, wheel usage. I I think that's the same thing for marketing. That's it. A great analogy and something uh, my nieces and nephews need to learn because, man, when they drive, I'm like, do you see any of those cars up ahead? And I've learned the trick. Uh, I drive a manual. So I tell them, hey, I'll, I'll teach you how to drive stick shift. And then you don't, when you're learning stick shift, you're so petrified of having to get out of first gear that you look way ahead so that you're like, I'm going to avoid stopping this car no matter what. So you see the light, two lights away and you're trying to time it. So that was my strategy with my nieces and nephews was, hey, why don't you, you can learn to drive stick. And that gets them to like actually look up and plan ahead while they're driving. So they don't just, you know, slam on the brakes at the red light and then accelerate right into a stop car. And oh, geez. Uh, it's good for marketers. Race to the red light. Ex- yeah, exactly. I'm like, just, just look up a little bit. Just be somewhat aware. Um, so I want to tie a bow around this uh, experiment, though, because you ran it a little bit longer. And then it, did anything stand out about kind of the, the end of your test period? I've gone back to the design team and asked that they, you know, come up with some new ideas for uh, the images and we'll rework some of the copy because it really hasn't changed since the last uh, optimizations uh, a whole bunch of months ago. So now that it's working with this older, if you will, content, older images and older copy, um, now I'll start uh, working on A-B testing. I've also, in this particular retargeting, I have a bunch of different audiences in there, and I may at some point do a little split test and and try to see um, if any one of them is uh, performing better. But you know, at the end of the day, um, the lead quality 
popped to 20%, came down to 15, and it's hovering around 11% better than the control. And we're seeing uh, four-time reduction in CAC and four times better uh, ACV, total ACV. So I'm very happy. As, as you should be. Um, yeah, well, so that's a great little success story um, and a good reminder of taking the time to connect your down funnel conversions back to Google, Facebook. Um, can you do this with any other platforms? Does anybody else have a conversion in like endpoint or system that you could use if you wanted to do your like algo bidding based I'm on this? I'm aware of, I've asked Microsoft ads and they're gonna get back to me. Um, there may, there's certainly many ABM platforms. We've done um, package selection discussions with a bunch of them that have some machine learning. And I think one of the things is a lot of people get nervous when they hear machine learning because it's smaller companies that just don't have the data that Google and Facebook have. And I wanna talk a little bit, we talked a lot about social, but I, I wanna talk about SEM as well. But there's an analogy here that you were handing me you know, with the most wonderful soft pitch, <laughs> which was all about your nieces and nephews getting situational awareness when they're driving. And it's an absolute perfect analogy here. As marketers, especially on the SEM side, especially on the search side, love all of our manual micro adjustments. And if you can step back and let the algorithm do some of the driving for you, you can start to look down the road and you can start to think about literally the questions that you've been asking me and just throwing out there all day of what is the best signal? How far down should we be? Maybe we should go a little further up or, you know, I can talk about when I was at HubSpot and we were doing lookalike audiences. And you can imagine at HubSpot, they have all kinds of audiences that you could pull based on all of their marketing automation. It was only when we picked a very particular audience, which was people who had been through the academy, the HubSpot Academy, their free and paid online training, that that particular group resonated with the audience that I was targeting. And back then it was mostly manual and you know, the reality is with a tool like what we're talking today, yes, you can still do the work of figuring out what's the best signals to give, but then you're going to get that much better results out of it. And that there may be a fear out there that tools like this can make us into lazy marketers or can make it, you know, allow bad marketers to outperform smart marketers. Um, but I think that's really not the case, that this takes just as much work, maybe more, um, but it's about figuring out the, the inputs and the outputs, what you want for the results. Well, I'm going to tell my nieces and nephews, they were used as an analogy for uh, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be thrilled. Um, and then I want to ask you one other question before we wrapped up. Because um, yep. in your article, you talk about um, this marshmallow test. So you talk about, you know, in e-commerce, you have fast closes. But for, you know, things that have a longer sales cycle, uh, you don't and kind of hang in there um, and, and you said ML with its delayed results is like a marshmallow test for marketers. What is the marshmallow test for marketers? Well, so again, if everybody who doesn't know the idea is you put a kid in a room and 
with a marshmallow and say, you know, if you don't eat this in the next 15 minutes, when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. Right. And right. a lot of kids just eat the marshmallows. And there's also, um, I once hosted an episode of Radio Lab for those who listened to that podcast at a event space I had in New York City. And they talked about if you offered most people a slice of pizza today versus a whole pizza next week, most people would take the slice of pizza today. Well, we're all used to seeing the counts go up and counts go up faster and larger, hitting new, new heights. And really what we're talking about is, especially on SEM, but you're seeing those form flow conversions come in. And when you hook up deep funnel, especially on Google, it's like, well, there's a delay. You're, you're, we ran today and I didn't get any conversions. If you're a funnel event, you know, it's something that doesn't necessarily happen all within one day. And again, they have a 90 day attribution. That's the marshmallow test, right? You have to hold back and you also have to have the confidence. Well, their algorithm isn't going to work. It's, it's, you know, how, how are they going to know that it happened? But we're just moving the window back when we were counting clicks on an ad and, and click through rate. Uh, maybe it was a metric at one point, um, you know, and we learned to now focus on, you know, form fills. Um, this is that same learning taken a little bit deeper. We just have to have the patience to let it work. Very nice. The marshmallow test. Yeah, I prefer the pizza test and I would probably <laughs> eat the slice of pizza. But um, Harry, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention before we, we wrap up? I think if I can, two things, um, maybe three, but one is I really believe you partner with the machine learning. Think of it as a, a young assistant who's very eager and very good at a few things, but isn't good at everything yet. Um, and that's really the challenge that you really have to work through, um, again, controlling the inputs and outputs. Another is, we didn't really get into, but with Google, um, you can have a cluster of these conversion points. So with Facebook, you just have to pick one. With Google, you can have a um, conversion action set. Um, so you can in fact have, if you want the full funnel in there and you have the 90 days. So you really have the opportunity to send um, more than one signal. And, and what we've seen without the action sets on, certainly on search, is a very linear performance ratio between spend and results. In other words, we're able to scale the spend without hitting a kind of a, a marginal decrease. And I think we all have seen campaigns where you keep on spending and they keep on doing worse and worse. So we, we've been able to see uh, some increases that uh, for a good period of time, um, the results stay steady as we increase. And then uh, finally, just if anybody, has questions about this, would like to know more, uh, besides the, the blog post, which is, as you said, why performance marketers need to embrace machine learning. Um, please reach out to me. Uh, my email address is harry.hawk at birdeye.com. And uh, also there's a, a glossary at, at the bottom of somehow, if you found this and you don't know what CAC or CPL or SQL is, uh, it's all included there. And then Paul, just super thankful for you taking the time today to 
have this conversation. I'd love to do this again sometime. Yeah, of of course. I appreciate your time as well. It's always nice to get in ahead of some excellent marketers and see what they're doing. Um, and especially the, the Google action sets. I didn't realize you could do that. So you actually send the full funnel to Google. In your article, you also made the point that, you know, you can set, set the values of a conversion. So, you know, your point before about, you know, uh, some people saying, oh, you know, once the algos take over, marketers will be out of a job. Um, yeah, well, you're not going to set the bids anymore. You need you can assign the values for the conversions, which is you change those. Those could have a big impact on the algo and and establishing those values based on all the data coming in to your organization is very complex. So don't worry about having a job because there's plenty to do to tweak the data coming into the algo, communicating the results, making these strategic decisions. So plenty of work for good marketers well into the future. So one good point on the, on the value, right? Because some people just really don't think it through. So it's like, oh, well, you know, this mid funnel, some point just before it becomes an opportunity. We'll just send over $1,000. That's fine. You can do that for everyone. Are they all worth 1000 Right. You know, if they're all worth 1000 that's fine. Even if they're all worth a dollar, you could send 1000 because it will treat them the same. Right. But it, it's really figuring, if you can make that number meaningful, like, that the bigger the number is, the more meaningful the lead is. And we all have things that we can work with, like projected selling costs, projected values. But yeah, that's really where the where the the hard work is is figuring out, you know, which different values to send and, and not not treating them all the same or the algorithm will. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, most people I talk to don't send values in or they just set it to a dollar. Uh because they're, yeah, they're like, well, I don't really know. And I'm afraid of what will happen if I start trying to give things actual scores. But I imagine it at in-house teams and bigger teams where you do have some time to be like, how much is, you know, you can do your conversion rates. Well, we convert 10% of this and our ACV is that. So this is how much this lead is worth. Um, but if you do that, at, well, I guess if you can send the whole action set and you do that at every level, that gives... Google a nice view of like, okay, well, obviously I'm going to look for the down funnel, but if I can, I know how much the mid funnel is worth. And if I can, I know how much the top funnel is worth. Yeah. So. Or at least separate values that separate your big upmarket accounts from your smaller ones. Or, And it's really hard to do at a form fill because you really don't know enough about them. Right. You don't even know if it's legitimate. And yeah, I mean... In e-commerce, right, you send the purchase amount or maybe like yeah. I was talking about, you could send the profit over. Um, the but card, I guess, yeah, with value. Yeah, with with closing an actual B2B SaaS contract, I mean, you have the contract value. And if it's mid-market, to your point, your salespeople usually rate the lead or assign it a score. Or you could even use the you know pipeline value in Salesforce if you set it up to calculate the expected MRR and the chance of close and all that. So you could pipe all those right back. Fancy. That's some fancy yeah. stuff. Indeed. <laughs> and then we'll link everything we talked about in the show notes. If um, if you want more podcasts, you get to head over to blog.adstage.io. We are going to do a series of podcasts with some marketers back like we used to do in the good old days before JD and I just got lazy and did headlines every week. But we will also continue to do headlines. So look for some interview shows and uh, go check out the headline shows and enjoy your week, everybody. Bye-bye. That was awesome.